No. Good morning. Hello. Let's try that again on the count of three. We'll all say good morning to everybody. Okay, so look all the way around the room. Pick out some unsuspecting person that you're going to greet. Ready? One, two, three. Good morning. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. We are going to worship our Lord and our Savior. Next Sunday... Next Sunday, we get to do baptisms again. Yes! Hallelujah. So, if you need to be baptized, maybe you want to get in on next Sunday's uh, celebrations. If you look at some announcements, you'll find them this week. I don't know if you noticed, but we are having vacation Bible school this next week. Isn't that exciting? Yes. So, we need your help. How many of you have not been involved in... Uh, in VBS, yet yeah, you don't have any responsibilities at Vacation Bible School. Hold up your hand. Oh, <laughs> that's not true. I'm, I'm calling on you. I would love for you to help us decorate today. So after church today, we're going to finish up decorating. And some of our teachers need some help decorating their rooms. You could step in there. But listen, I would really like to encourage some of you who are not involved to walk these halls after church and pray for the teachers and for the kids that are going to be here and pray as you go and maybe even take somebody aside and say, let me pray for you this week. What are you doing in VBS? So we'd like for that to happen. Thursday night is going to be our family night. We're going to share the gospel uh, to all the parents, all the families, what it means to know Jesus how he changes your life. So be praying about Thursday night. Be sure and come and enjoy that. We have some ice cream, and um, but come for what God's doing. That means then that Wednesday night we will not be meeting in the park. Okay? So if you need it, uh, if you got to have your hot dog or your hamburger, you'll have to go somewhere else, but we're not having it in the park. Okay? And, uh, and then on the 18th, we are going to meet in here during Sunday school time. We're going to pray together. That is my, probably my favorite time is when we come together as a church and we just spend some time praying with each other. So I hope you come and be a part of that. Um, that'll be followed by the next Sunday. There'll be a Zambia teen meeting. And then two things I'd like for you to especially note. Today, right after this worship service, we are needing some help with those who'd be involved in hospitality, cooking and serving and, and helping with funerals and uh, other times where we just need some uh, food preparation and things like that. And so Pastor Mike would like to meet with you right after the service. Um, and so if you'd be willing to help out in any uh, way, we'd love to have you uh, meet with Pastor Mike right after this worship service. The second thing I'd like to bring your attention to is we need a man who would go and accompany our children to children's camp. So I'd like for you to pray. I'd like for you to seek God on this. And if you are that individual that God needs to have up there, just come and talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Mike or Pastor Rick. And, uh, and, and then we'll 
see what God will do from there. Be praying for Pastor Aaron and his family there at a funeral uh, this week. So let's pray and get ready to worship, okay? God, thank you for your love for us. Mm. It goes so much further and deeper than we, we can even approach understanding. Your blessings on us are, are far more than we even recognize. Certainly more than we give enough gratitude for. And our need for you is so basic, and yet we ignore it. So Lord, today, this morning, we've come here and gathered so that we can set our minds right so that we can focus on you and give you gratitude and yield to you submit to you call you our lord to praise you and just do that god as we sing would you help us to sing with honest hearts about who you are giving gratitude to you lord as we pray would you help us to pray well uh, with insight that your spirit gives, with honesty. Lord, as we listen to your word, would you help us to listen to you? Would you help us to hide your word in our hearts so we wouldn't sin against you? God, we want to give you um, everything this morning in our time of worship. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together this morning. Here we are together as the people of the Lord. We're serving Him with gladness and we sing to Him with joy. We know the Lord is good and we know our Lord is God. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Enter His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him. Be thankful to Him. Bless His name. Here we are together in the pastures of our Lord. His loving kindness is eternal.
All right, we will sing again of our Savior who is worthy. Good morning, everyone. 
This morning we want to focus on our VBS. We've got a lot of workers here that would appreciate our prayers. So maybe I can have all our workers stand up just so you can see who they are. I think I see a few t-shirts out there. <laughs> Praise God for these guys. Um, yeah, you may be seated. Let's pray for them now. Um, we've got a full week coming up. Uh, we're just so thankful for all those who have volunteered because we care about the children here in uh, College Heights, the children throughout our city. So many needs, uh, especially a need for salvation through Christ. Let's just pray that God will work a miracle and bring many of these kids to Christ this week. Let's pray together. Father, you care. You care about us. You care about the children of our city. You care about families. You care about each one of these who are going to serve this week. We're thankful for the leadership of Michelle and Tim who worked hard at bringing this together. For all those who have worked on decorations, those who have prepared lessons, those who have gotten their the the Word of God ready to, to share with these children. We just pray that you would use these efforts for your glory, that many, many children would come to Christ through our Vacation Bible School. Thank you for those who prepared these these lessons in the first place. Thank you for just our church that has come together and rallied around this. And and that, that we care, Lord. Just use us for your glory. May you um, just receive all the, the, all the glory through, through this Vacation Bible School. Thank you that we can serve you. Help us to do it with a right attitude. Father, just bless our church because we care about people and that you cared first for us. Father, we thank you for offering today as well. Thank you for the preaching of your word. Just uh, bless the message today. May the Holy Spirit be at work. May the words that are shared just be from you, Lord. Words that bring life uh, because your word is, is life. Father, bless our time together. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's take the offering, please.
Okay, kids, time to go to the Super Church, third grade and under, if you'd like to. And good morning to everybody else. Glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here. Take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew 23 with me this morning. Um, you know, we, I love VBS week. I, I've always loved VBS week. It's always a lot of work. It's always super busy. Um, you know, there's always things that come up that are good and challenging sometimes and just whatever, but the thought of sharing the gospel with children, spending a week just investing in their lives in Christ is just a powerful thing to me. And over the years, many, 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 many people have been saved through Vacation Bible School. Many, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people around the world have been saved through VBS. So I really want you to pray. That's what I guess I'm saying. I really want you to pray. The only thing that makes this thing work is prayer. You know, we get some cool decorations, and that's great, but decorations don't save anybody. You know, we got some fun games, and, and that's great. Fun games don't save anybody. It's the gospel, right? It's the gospel that saves souls. So I'm, I want you to pray for God to do a work this week at Vacation Bible School. Matter of fact, I love what Max said, that <coughs> when we are working this afternoon, you know, don't be as consumed by the decorations as you are about prayer. If there's not one other decoration put up today, that won't change a life. It's not that big a deal. But if you pray, it'll change somebody. It's going to be used by God. So I'm thankful for the decorations and thankful for all the stuff that takes place, but let's not lose track of what makes the difference, and that's prayer. So please pray for VBS <coughs> and pray, <coughs> pray for us this morning. If you were here last week, you know that we started this section that's just the woe section. Right? Jesus is days away from the cross. I mean, he's close, and he is not holding back. Right? He rode into Jerusalem. We've read that several weeks ago now on the donkey, and he's basically saying, I am God. I am the Messiah. People were worshiping him. That was offensive to many of the religious leaders and to others. And since then, he's done nothing to back away from that. And he's not going to. He's not going to back away from that news that he is the Savior. He's not going to back away from the truth about who we are and how we need to respond to him as the Savior. I know we have made Jesus into whatever we want him to be, but he won't allow us to keep, continue on. He's not going to back away from the fact that he expects men and women to worship him, to know him, to follow him, to obey him, to adjust their lives to him. He's not going to back away from that. As much as we want him to back away from that so that we can feel what we want to feel and believe what we want to believe and do what we want to do, man, he's trucking to the cross and he's going to make us, as he did with these people, decide, are you going to worship me and trust me or reject me? He's always going to do that. And I know we don't want to say that out loud, but man, when you begin to read his, con his confrontation here of these religious leaders, you realize that he's the same today. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's not changed. He's very confrontational about who we claim to be that we might truly be his, right? And so... For us today, we live in a time where, where people decide what they're going to be, what they, they want to identify what they're going to be. They decide what they're going to believe. They don't want to have a, 
uh, and one truth. They want to have 10 truths or 100 truths or whatever. And I just, I just want you guys to see that God wants us to come to him as he is and worship him and live for him because he's good. Right? He's good. This morning in my, my own Bible reading, I read Psalm 81, and it was really applicable to this, to this passage and to us today. Let me read Psalm 81, 8 through 13 for you. It says, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. Now, I just want you to let that soak in. This is God speaking to his people before Christ ever came. But he says, Hear, my people, and I will admonish you. You know, we live in a day where we are so offended if somebody admonishes us, if someone corrects us, if someone shows us that we need to adjust our lives, and yet here's God admonishing us. And he says, hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. You hear what he's saying? Let me admonish you. Turn away from the false gods. Turn away from your false beliefs. I'll be your God. He says, open your mouths and I will fill it. I'll supply whatever you need. Just let me be your God. Let me take care of you. I I love that. But he's admonishing them to do that. And then he says, But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would not listen to me, or would listen, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Do you hear the heart of God? The heart of God is listen to me, walk in my ways. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll take care of you. Don't you worry. But to hear and not listen means he turns you over to your own devices. and You walk away from him and live in your own ways and you're without him. You don't have him. And he's so that my people would listen to me. Isn't that incredible? And so here we're going to come to Matthew 23 again. And we're going to hear some more of these statements that Jesus makes to these religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And and we we talked about this last week. He's talking to the church. This is a message to the church. This is a message to people that say they're right with God. It's a message to people that claim to be right with God. It's a message to people, and we'll see this today today, who thought they were qualified to teach others, who felt like they knew more than others, who felt like they lived better than others. Is that describing anybody in here yet? It's really, really humbling if you're going to apply it to yourself because it applies to us, right? And and if we're going to hear these words today, we have to hear the heart of God as earnestly seeking to move us to walk with him if there's if there's rebellion or hypocrisy in our life he wants us to repent of it so as we read this pray pray that god will move in our hearts today 
Matthew 23, 16. Well, do you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated? You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the temple of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes it's It is very difficult to look into your word and see your truth. Sometimes it's difficult to realize that you're not going to back away from confronting us. That you're not going to be sorry about calling us to repentance. You're not going to be sorry about revealing the truth of our spiritual condition to us. You're you're not going to be ashamed to stand in the gap on our behalf and call us to that incredible relationship that we can have with you through Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd humble our hearts right now and that you'd give us willing spirits to hear from you. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd give us courage and strength that where you confront us with sin, that we would not only admit it and confess it, but Father, we would turn and change our lives in order to follow you. Lord, may you accomplish more than we could ask or imagine as we look into your word this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started through this passage of Scripture and, you know, sometimes you just... You just kind of go, man, Lord, that seems so harsh. And and yet, Jesus knew very well, right? He knew very well who it was who really loved him and who really loved the Father and who was just playing the game. And what's interesting to me is that, that these guys would play the game at all. I mean... I'm just that kind of guy. I'm just kind of wired that if I don't believe it, if I don't really trust it, if I'm not really bought into it, I'm, I'm gone. I, I'm not going to be playing games. It's just not how I'm wired. It never has been that way. Uh, I'm just going to try to be best I can where I need to be and do what I feel like I need to do. But why would you play games and at all, especially with something as important as God. And, and truth be known is there's only one reason. 
And it's pride. There's only one reason that we would even pretend to be something that we're not, and it's, it's pride. We want people to see us in a way that honors us and that, you know, blesses us and that somehow makes us look good or makes us look better than somebody else. And, and one of the ways that men and women do that still today is in this relationship with God. Somehow we have this, this sinful nature in us that makes us want to be puffed up and makes us want to be noticed and makes us want to be honored and makes us want to, you know, have accolades. And, and it certainly happens even today within the church. It does. And man, it should never be. There should never be a reason for that in the church. Because every single person that knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is a sinner. Every single one. There's not a one of us that came to Christ because we're so great and good. We'll see that in this passage of Scripture. But every single one of us that knows Jesus owes our life to Christ. There's nothing about us that should be seen as glorious. Everything about us should be seen, should be showing who Christ is. And so as we begin this passage of Scripture, realize that these are proud, arrogant, self-deceived men who really look good to others, and they are looking really bad to Christ. And let God speak as we look at this. So he starts here in verse 16. He, this is the only time in these eight different woes that he doesn't address them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. But this time he addresses them and says, Woe to you, blind guides. And then he says down in verse 17, You fools and blind men. And down in verse 19 he says, You blind men again. I mean, Jesus is saying to these guys, you guys are blind to who you are and to the truth around you, and you're fools in that blindness. Now, what is he talking about with this in such a, such a distinct way among this passage of Scripture? And the truth of the matter is he's talking to them about this particular thing because they are twisting the truth of God's Word and the truth of God, and they're doing this concerning oaths when they swear that they're going to do something. And these guys have this formula, apparently, that says if you use the right formula, then you can actually keep your you know, promise or keep your oath, but only if you do the right formula, only if you do it in the right way. And I, I've, over the years of pastoring, <clears throat> really grown to hate that. And I like to do things a certain way. I mean, I got my ways, you know, I don't, and I'm not big on changing. I mean, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. <clears throat> Pastor Max would do something different every single time just because he can. And he looks at me sometimes and goes, you're so boring. You're so in the box. You're so, and I am. I was telling him this morning when I used to do this big youth camp, I, I was a dean of a school. We had all these different schools that we had. And and we always had a weekend before we would do the youth camp and we would bring in all of our leadership and then the deans would teach them and train them, raise up the leaders, get them ready. And, and we, were, we would decorate our rooms. And I mean, most of the schools did it up. I mean, sometimes the ladies in my group would paint my fingernails so I'd have the right color on. Like our, our, our schools were different color. 
So I've had bright green fingernails. I've had bright yellow fingernails. And it's just creepy, guys. I'm telling you. I'd have it on there for a little while because they talked me into it. I'm like, nah, I can't take it. Anyway, side note. So then I, I just decided, you know, this is nuts. I could care less if my school's decorated or not. I, I'm here to teach the Word of God. I'm here to help these kids know who Jesus is and grow. And so I tell my adults, you guys, if you want to decorate, great. If you don't want to decorate, great. I don't really care. Do what you want to do. And they would do it or they wouldn't do it, and we'd still have the school. And so I just then decided I would name myself the Vanilla Dean. I was the Vanilla Dean. You know, there was no... There was no variations of flavors with me. I was just the simple one flavor, solid kind of guy that's not going to change. So if that's who I am still today, vanilla pastor. I don't care. It's the way that is. But over the years, the people that have told me that if I'm going to be godly, then this is how I need to do it. I might be vanilla, but I'm a hot vanilla. I'm like, man, my wife just cringed. I don't know what else to say, baby. <laughs> Spicy vanilla? I don't know what to say. We got some chilies in there. I don't know. We got something. Anyway, man, I can't look at Beth sometimes. You need, you, stop it, baby. Now she's hot. We're both a little flushed. Let's move on. <clears throat> I'm glad she still knows I'm hot. Anyway. These guys say to others, in twisting the truth, they say, listen, if you're going to swear by the temple, that's not enough. You have to swear by the gold of the temple. And they say, if you're going to swear by the altar, that's not enough. You've got to swear by the offering that's on the altar. In order for you to be, have integrity with God, you've got to do it our way. You've got to do it our plan. And Jesus says, basically, that's ridiculous, I mean, he says, and I love this, you fools and blind men, verse 17, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And, and then he says to them, you blind men, which is more important, the offering and the altar that sanctifies the offering? And he's, he's literally calling them out. He's literally, literally saying to them, you're twisting the truth. You're taking the simple truth that says, there's a God in this temple who's God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, and you could commit yourself to walking with him the right way, but instead of doing that, you're making this formula whereby you can show people how smart you are, show people how godly you are, and show them that if they'll just do this, you'll, they'll be godly like you. And it's, it's ridiculous, it's offensive, it's a lie that started from the very beginning. I mean, if you go back to, to Genesis chapter 3, it says in Genesis chapter 3, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from every tree in the garden. Genesis 3, 1. Do you know who said that? That's right, the serpent said that. The devil said that. Right, he's trying to tempt Eve. God has told them very clearly, you can eat from any tree in the garden, except one from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat off of that tree, you're going to die. And so the serpent, not trying to you know, fully contradict what God has said, he just simply twists it just a little bit. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. No, God hasn't said that. But if you can twist it just enough 
to put doubt in somebody's mind, you can lead them away from Christ rather than to Christ. And here's what these men were doing. They were trying to misuse Scripture, twist it just enough to make sure that people were wondering, can I really have a relationship with God? Can I really be committed to God? Can I really walk faithfully with God if I'm not doing this formula, if I'm not doing this formula? And the truth of the matter is, is those formulas don't matter. They don't even make sense. I mean, over the years of pastoring, I've heard people tell me, hey, if you don't read from a certain translation of the Bible, you are ungodly. Huh. Let's see, what verse did you come up with for that? What verse tells me that, you know, whatever translation, King James Bible is the only one that we should read? I've had people tell me before, well, it's the authorized version. You ever heard that before? Because it says it on the King James Bibles. It's the authorized version. I always say to them, authorized by who? They don't always know. I'm like, well, it says King James right on it. It was authorized by King James. Not anywhere in the scripture does it tell me I have to read that Bible. Well, I've had people tell me, you know, if you don't wear a tie, or you don't wear a coat, or you don't, if you don't sing the right kind of music, or you don't do whatever, you can't be godly. Well, that means Wyomingites, <laughs> we're kind of out, aren't we? Hallelujah. But I mean, you see what I'm saying? I mean, there's some times, I mean, have you ever heard somebody say, God won't put more on you than what you can handle? How many of you have heard that saying before? How many of you believe it? Listen, man, God will put more on you than what you can handle. I don't know who you think you are, but you're not God. Let me read what the Bible actually does say so you kind of get this right, because I think it's important, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So it's about temptation. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you may be able to endure it. So how do you even endure temptation? By the power of God making the way out of temptation. Now let me read you another verse so you know that God does put more on us than what we can handle sometimes. It's in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 and it says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us on whom, he on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Does God put more on us than what we can handle? Beyond our strength so that we despaired even of death. Listen, guys, Don't let people with good intentions or poor intentions twist God's word. I mean, there are people today that are telling you things that are not found in God's word. They're telling you that God loves everyone. And sometimes by that translation, they're saying what God is willing to do is let us live any old sinful way we want to 
because he loves us. That's what they're saying, right? They're saying God loves everyone. I agree. God does love everyone. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves the world. But if you read on down through that, in John chapter 3, right? Well, let me get it because I'm going to hack it up if I don't. Let me read you what he says fully. It says right after, but have eternal life. It says, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Did you know it says that? So to twist the word that says that God loves everyone, which means God accepts every sinful action and way of life, is a lie. He loves everyone so much he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins that we might have eternal life. But if you don't believe in him, you've already been judged. Already been judged. So Jesus is calling these men blind guides. He's calling these men fools. He's telling these men, you're twisting the word of God and you're purposely deceiving people. You're calling people to things that they can't live up to. You're burdening people down with loads that they can't carry. You're actually twisting this thing around, hoping that somehow you can show yourself to be better, smarter, whatever you want to say. And the truth be known is you're blind and foolish. And this week, right, we're going to be sharing the gospel with children. It's so important to share the truth. We go every day into this world and we work beside people that don't know the truth and it's so important to share the truth. I mean, I've ministered to an officer several different times now. It seems like every time I ride with this particular officer, I have the opportunity to share truth, but it's always this kind of harder truth. They were sharing with me this last week that they'd seen some things that were so devastating to them that they hadn't slept for about four or five weeks and could only eat like chips and granola. Like chips sound great, but couldn't we do something better than granola? But anyway, <clears throat> and so I said, well, man, I want you to call me. I want you to call me when this is going on. I want to be able to pray for you. And I said, and I want you to, I want you to pray too, pray. And they said, well, pray for, for me to have resilience, resiliency. And I said, that's a great prayer, but I said, I said, do you think you're going to be strong enough to see the things that you just told me you saw and handle them without God? Do you think you're going to be strong enough for that? Or are you going to actually learn that God's word calls you to humble yourself under his mighty hand that he may exalt you at the proper time? That God's word calls you to cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you? Are you going to come to the place where you're going to hear truth and surrender to Christ and trust him? Or you want me to pray for you to be able to handle things that you aren't made to handle? I mean, I could twist it. 
or I could ignore it, or I could not address it, or I could just call them back to where life is found. I mean, we're tempted sometimes to twist it because, like, we don't even like to hear Jesus call them hypocrites. And we don't like to hear Jesus say, woe to you. I mean, trouble's coming because you're a hypocrite. We don't like to see that. We don't, hear, we don't like to hear that. Many of us actually don't like that Jesus. Many of us have actually twisted God's word to the place where Jesus isn't that. Where have you made him another kind of savior? Where he wouldn't confront anything. Where he wouldn't address anything. Where he wouldn't be harsh on somebody. Where he wouldn't stand up for truth. And nothing could be further from the truth. These guys are twisting the truth. And Jesus tells them they're idiots. They're blinds. They're fools. They're hurting people. And then he tells them very simply as he addresses the issue. Whoever swears by the altar swears by the altar and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by the temple both by the temple and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And he's basically telling these people, listen, man, you're swearing to God no matter what you're doing. The temple is his. The altar is his. Heaven is his. His throne is his. I mean, everything that you do is about God. He has already taught us that back in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. He says, again, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven or by its throne, the throne of God, or by the earth, or by the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Evil. Because the thing that's the most important to us is God. We're not making oaths based on formulas. We're not making oaths based on rules. We're not making oaths based on how good we are or how we say it or why, how we don't say it. We're making oaths based on the fact that God hears what we say. So I have a relationship with God based on integrity, based on love, where you say, I'm going to do this, then do it. If you say, I'm not going to do that, then don't do it. Let it just be that simple because God is in all and over all and through all. And we got to have a relationship with him deep enough and sweet enough to cause us to do it. Because quite honestly, anything else is hypocrisy, right? I mean, the more I read through these things and the more I think about these things, he's really just pointing out the fact that these guys don't have a relationship with God. They don't. I mean, if you look at Scripture, it's not hard to see. God created Adam and Eve in his image, male and female. He created them in his image. He gave them the reign and rule over all of his creation. It said, be fruitful and multiply and rule over the creation. Crowning creation, he said, I'm going to give you the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, you can eat off of any tree, anything you want except the one. And in the Garden of Eden, we know he came in and he spoke with them and he had fellowship with them. He had a relationship with them. They had a relationship with him. They set it up so that they would choose him above all else. One tree. All you have to do is avoid one tree. If you eat off of that tree, you're going to die because you are going to sin against me. He didn't say it out loud, but that's what he meant. 
and to sin against me breaks our relationship. That's the deal breaker. Sure enough, they ate off the tree of the Garden of Eden, or the tree of knowledge of good and of evil, and God brought them to death. They were guilty and ashamed. They couldn't come into his presence anymore. He drove them out of the Garden of Eden, and I don't have time to go through all of the steps. But he promised, he promised that the seed of the woman would strike at the heel of the, of the, or the seed of the serpent would strike at the heel of the seed of the woman and the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Genesis 3.15. He promised the Savior was coming right then. Why did that Savior come? That Savior came to restore us with God that our relationship with him might be right again. And we don't have to have formulas. We don't have to follow rules. If you think following the rules or during doing certain things is going to make you acceptable to God, you've already lost. There's only one thing that makes you acceptable to God. It's not church attendance. It's not baptism. It's not tithing that we'll talk about in just a second. It's none of those things. It is Christ Jesus and his blood alone. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ alone, right? Man, don't be the person that's out in this world twisting God's word to show how godly and holy and righteous and smart you are and calling people away from Christ. Call them to him. Call them to him. Let them know who he is. Let them have integrity with him. Let them be free in Christ Jesus to love him and follow him. Well, he goes on. Verse 23, what do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat swallow a camel. Is Jesus smoking? Man, he tells them, you're such hypocrites that you tithe to the nth degree. You go to your garden, you pick out your herbs, you got a bundle this big, you try to figure out what a tenth of that is, and you take it to the temple, and you tithe, and you tithe, and you tithe to the just the way you should. And honestly, he doesn't say you shouldn't do this. He says you should do that plus do the rest. And, and I got to tell you, tithing is the simplest thing for a Christian to do. I, I've had these discussions for many, 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 many years, many years. I have people that tell me, well, you shouldn't have to tithe because it's an Old Testament principle. Well, let's just chop it off. Let's just rip that book in half chuck the first half away and stay in the New Testament if that's true. Is that true? That's ridiculous. Tithing is a God principle because everything is God's. Everything you have is God's. Whatever income you have, the whole 100% of it is from God. Whatever you own is from God. It's all God's. You're God's. He made you. You're his. Tithing's not hard. When he says in Malachi chapter 3 that the, the tithe is mine, 
It's not yours. And when you don't bring it to me, you're robbing from me. He's not teasing. It's not hard to tithe. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. I'm supposed to give it to the Lord. The tithe in the Old Testament went to the temple so they could take care of the temple. It went to take care of the priests. It went to take care of the, Fer- or the, 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 the Levites, not the Pharisees, the Levites. That would take care of them. That would be their food. They would get part of the offerings to take care of them and their family. It's all about taking care of them. And then the tithe, the other tithes would go to taking care of the poor, taking care of the widows and the orphans. I mean, it's the same today. It's the same today. You tithe, you help us do ministry at College Heights. You take care of your pastors. You take care of the poor, the benevolent that we do. We do ministry. So it's, just, it's just God's. It's not yours. You're supposed to bring it here. I've had people tell me I can tithe anywhere I want to. Read that in the scripture somewhere. Read that in the scripture somewhere. The Bible says bring the tithe to the storehouse. Where's the storehouse? It's right here. And again, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be offensive. It's just the word of God. It's the word of God. If you want to take other money and give to other people, give. Hallelujah, you should. But the tithe is God's. That's easy. But when you make the tithe about your glory, when you tell people, I'm so good that I tithe of my garden. (laughs) I mean, look what I tithe. I got some cumin. I got some dill. I got some mint. Whew, I'm good. You're straining out the gnat. You're focusing on the lesser issues. Tithing's not the issue. It's your heart. It's Christ. It's a relationship with God. That's why we tithe. We trust him. He provides. We give to him. He gives us what we need from the other 90%. And usually, by the way, if you tithe, he will keep the promise in Malachi that says, test me in this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you could not imagine or handle. Just try it sometime. Not so that you'll get wealthy, but so that you'll have a solid foundation in your life no matter where your finances are. Try it sometime. Truth be known, you can turn anything into your own personal glory wagon. And they were tithing so distinctly that, man, they were straining out this little bitty thing to show how good they are. But they were neglecting the weightier things of the law, Jesus said. They weren't doing justice. They weren't showing mercy And they weren't walking faithfully with God. And we see this in these other woes. I mean, one of them was you devour widows' houses. You make a proselyte, but they become twice the son of hell as you were. Is that justice? There's no justice in devouring widows' houses. There's no justice in twisting and changing God's word to make a disciple that follows you, that leads him to more judgment and condemnation. There's no justice in that. That's swallowing the camel. Man, you've said you're godly to the point of straining out a gnat, but you've actually swallowed sin to the extent that it's right before your face and you can't even see it. And it's easier to do it that way, isn't it? It's easier to be 
you know, godly on the outside, which we'll talk about here in a minute, but, but have nothing to show Christ on the inside. And man, there's so many people that live that way today, and all they want to do is say, it's about me, and it's about me, and it's about me, it's about me. Look how good I am. Look what I do. Look how many times I come to church. Look, I, I work at vacation Bible school. I'm the pastor of the church. Look at me. The truth be known is we are nothing. We are nothing. We're not justified by the works of the law. No flesh is justified by the works of the law. None of us came to know Jesus Christ because we were good. There's none who are good, not even one, according to Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners. Man, when Jesus Christ comes into our life, he saves us because he's good, because he's gracious, because he's loving. And then from there, we want to serve him because we love him. That's why we want to tithe because we love him. That's why we want to do justice because we love him. That's why we want to show mercy. And some of us, and I'm, I'm kind of hardcore. I'm kind of a suck it up kind of guy. Don't tell me necessarily about all your problems. Man, turn to Jesus, move on, let's go. And yet Jesus was so merciful to me. How can I not be merciful to others? I mean, there's broken people in this world. Have you noticed and some of them are broken because they are not very smart. They're not very nice. They're not very godly. And yet they're in a pool of their own mess. And sometimes we are just like the Pharisees and the Levites that walked around the broken, naked man on his way down to Jericho, right? We won't get involved with those people. But the Samaritans showed mercy he stops and he bandages up his wounds and he put him on his donkey and he took him down and took care of him and paid for the innkeeper. And said, That's mercy. Man, that comes from Christ being in us. Man, there are plenty of times when I don't want to be very merciful and the Holy Spirit's just going, stop it, stop it. Man, they didn't earn your care and they didn't earn my care, but I love them just like I love you, you sinner. Man, is there, is there any more blatant hypocrisy than for someone to receive this merciful grace of Jesus Christ who made justice firm and true through the cross he was the just and the justifier through the cross. Is there any more greater hypocrisy when we don't practice justice than stand for what is right or show mercy or walk faithfully with God because we love him? Listen, if it doesn't flow from love from us, we need to repent. Because everything else is just pretense. Everything else is hypocrisy. Jesus called them out. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Let's not, let's not strain out the gnat. And let's not swallow the camel. Let's have a relationship with Jesus that is vibrant, that's full of the Spirit of God, that has courage and strength, and yet compassion and mercy. Let's be the people of God to 
care about the fallen. Let's care about those that are struggling. Let's care about those who aren't like us. Let's stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Let's be the people of God. Let's be authentic in this world, genuine in this world. Let's let Christ flow from us. Because, man, if he's not in there, woe, woe to us. Well, I'll finish this morning with verses 25 and 26. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean. Now this is, this is unique in that for the first time he's really addressing the condition of their heart the condition of their soul. All these other times he's been talking about specific actions, like they shut off the kingdom of heaven because they won't enter it themselves, and like they devour widows' houses and yet make long prayers, so they show their hypocrisy in that. And <coughs> talked about how they travel around to make one disciple and yet make him twice the son of hell. I mean, he's, he's talking about actions that they're taking, even about the oath thing and even about this tithing thing. And But now he says... Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. And he tells them, clean the inside first. It's the only way the outside's going to be really clean, right? I mean, the picture is easy, isn't it? If you had spaghetti in your dish and you went over to the sink and you just rinsed off the outside and stuck that in the draining sink, you, you wouldn't want the outside either. Right? The whole thing is clean. You're not going to want anything to do with that dish. We get that, right? But you know what he's telling them? He's literally kind of bringing this deeper. He's telling them, man, you're not right with God. There's sin in your life. And he, he even describes it, and it's pretty harsh. He says they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. Robbery we would get, right? we're taking something that's not ours from somebody else so that we can make it ours. And I know there's many of us in here who go, well, I'm not really a robber. What is your heart, though? The other one's a little easier. Self-indulgence. It's the American pastime. It, it is. And it's not even a pastime. We are committed to self-indulgence. Aren't we? I mean, do you ever have the thought when you have something going on in your life, what am I going to do about this? You ever ask yourself that question? The question is not what am I going to do about this, but God, what do you want to do about this? When it comes to needing things, when we don't need things, couldn't we say to the Lord God Almighty, I don't really need this, Lord, so do you want me to have it? Do you know what his answer would be? A lot of times, no. No. You could actually use that money to be a blessing to somebody else. You ever thought about that? It's not mine in the first place, but because we're so self-indulgent, and I'm guilty, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Man, I need this, but I don't. 
I'd really like to have this. It'd be a nice convenience in my life. That's what I should really say, but I don't need it. He tells these guys, your hearts are pretty foul. They're full of robbery and self-indulgence. And so he says to them, and he says to us, clean the inside. Clean the inside. If you clean the inside, the outside is going to be good. If you take your dish to the sink, and you spend time scrubbing that spaghetti out of that bowl, I almost by rote, the outside is going to get clean while you're doing it. Spiritually speaking, if the inside is clean, if your heart's pure, if you're humble, if you're loving, if you're faithful to Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit's in you, you clean the inside, and your actions are going to be pure. They're going to come from a pure heart. You're going to do things in love. It's not going to be about what you can do and what you can get away with and what you can have and how comfortable you can be. You talk about convicting in our world. It's hard for me to stand up here and speak these things when I got a stomach this size. I'm pretty committed to my self-indulgence. I'm not always happy about that. I don't need to be happy about that. I need to repent of that. And there are many other things besides food that we self-indulge in. Many. The problem is our relationship with Christ. That's the problem. I mean, I quoted 2 Corinthians 5.21 earlier, right? How do we get made right and clean with God? God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The only way to be made clean is through Jesus Christ. You come to Christ, he makes you the righteousness of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. As a believer, when we fall into sin, we dive into sin, we walk and run into sin. How do we get made clean when he convicts us? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that, yes, God wants to confront us sometimes. He wants to admonish us sometimes because our sin is dragging us away from him. And his admonishment is brought to bring us back to him. And the way that we deal with that is still Christ in everything that we do. Do you need, do you need to, Turn to Christ maybe for the first time? Have you ever trusted Jesus? Have you ever actually said, Lord, I can't be righteous on my own, but you died for me and rose again, and, and your blood will make me the righteousness of God. You'll make me acceptable. I need you. I trust you. If you've never done that, do that. You need that. God's calling you to that. If you're a Christian and, man, God is admonishing you, don't be sorry. Don't leave here going, man, I hate that Pastor Mike had to preach on stuff like that. It's not me. He's been preaching this stuff to me all week. You got the short version. Man, confess your sins to him. Humble yourself. Let him wash you clean. Let him make you the genuine follower of Christ Jesus that he wants you to be and that you want to be. 
Be a light in this world. When people see you, let them see a genuine follower of Jesus Christ so that they might want a relationship with him as well. And you're going to have to strive for it. You're going to have to humble yourself for it. You're going to have to give up some things for it. You're going to have to change your heart in some ways. You're going to have to adjust your life differently than you've been adjusting your life. It's going to come with a cost. It is going to come with a cost. It'll be so worth it. It'll be so worth it to say, Lord, I love you. What do you want from me? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to give? Because if you'll give all that stuff away for him, you'll have him. Is that what you want? You want him? Then I want him. I want us to have him. So as we pray, let's let God do the work and let's say yes to him, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for your word. It's hard. It's hard to see things about ourselves that we don't want to see. But I'm so grateful that you wanted to admonish us this morning just as you wanted to admonish Israel and how that admonishing is designed to bring us to you so that we would know you as our God and we can open our mouth and know you'll fill it with whatever needs we have, whatever peace we need, strength, you'll fill it, Lord. Pray that you'd forgive us of our sins of rebellion and pride. Pray you'd forgive us when you speak and we don't listen and obey. Pray you'd forgive us when we try to replace an intimate relationship with you with keeping some form of rules, whether others have set them or we've set them ourselves. Forgive us. How I pray you'd save the lost this morning and draw every believer back to you that we might walk with authentic faith into a world that desperately needs to see you in us. And Lord, I love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. If you need to respond to the Lord, come pray. Come pray with one of our pastors. Pray where you are. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you have questions, come talk to us. We'd love to answer those questions. But let's respond to Christ this morning.
before we pray, just let me remind you, ladies and gentlemen both, uh, we're looking for people to participate in hospitality. Uh, You may not have to be on the team, but what we need is just people willing to serve others, whether it's at funerals or whether it's through banquets that we do or things that we have. Uh, It's a pretty sweet ministry, especially when we get to minister to hurting people. And so the more obviously the better because then we can cover times when others can't be there. So if you would just meet with me, if you'd be interesting, willing to do that, just meet with me right down here for a few minutes. I promise it'll be a few minutes and, uh, and I'll let you go. So let me pray as we finish. Lord God, thank you for, for who you are. Lord, it doesn't matter who we are. You're the king. You're the creator. You are the Lord, Lord Most High. We owe you our lives. And you're calling us to you, not in our way, not with a personal agenda, but your pleasure, your will. That's hard for us, Lord God. We are stumble and we are, we are stubborn and we are rebellious. Lord, we don't want to be, I don't want to be. So help us, Lord, to surrender to you. Help us, Lord, to repent of our sins. Help us, Lord, to turn away from our hypocrisy. Help us be genuine in our relationship with you and honor you in all that we do. Father, I pray that you'd bless these men and women, these families. pray that you'd bless them richly with your presence, with your goodness, with your love, with your grace, with your strength, with your comfort. I pray that you'd help us, Lord God, realize that there's far sweeter, greater blessings than the stuff that you provide for us, and that blessing is you. So, Lord, help us have you and know you, be satisfied with you. And, Lord, we'll give you praise. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.